Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had the, the awesome opportunity um, to head over to East Asia to be on a, a mission trip, and it was great. One of the things we did over there is we took lots of pictures, so I'm going to take some pictures of you guys. Um, so if you guys, are, if you hadn't figured it out this morning, we're talking about joy, right? Paid attention to the songs and all that kind of stuff. So give me, we're going to do here, here, and then balcony. I won't leave you out, okay? Um, we'll get you in like a, this thing, I hope. Um, give me your best joy pose, okay? All right, we're going to go with that over here. Ready? One, two, oh wait, hang on, sorry, two and a half, three. There we go. All right, so let's go over here now because I don't want to leave you guys out. All right, best joy pose over here. Ready? One, two, three. There we go. Balcony, we got you in there, I believe. So I don't leave you out. Now let me do something with this because you will see this again. Um, all right, should be on its way. Good, wonderful. All right, so, um, but today we continue in our series uh, that, that Pastor Keith started with us last week on the fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians, if you read ahead, again, you know we're talking about joy. Last week he did a great job getting us started and understanding um, kind of the, the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit's what does all of this stuff in us, right? But he talked about that the fruit of the Spirit is something that kind of permeates all of these other fruit. It's kind of the one that's, um, that the others maybe are built on. I don't know that he used those words. I'm not sure that that's actually right. But it's kind of the ones that they're, that they're all kind of go around. Love's got to permeate through all of those. We looked at 1 Corinthians 13. It had a great start to it. So today, again, we jump into joy, understanding it. Now, words matter, don't they? I mean, the meanings behind the words, they, they matter, yes? You know, if I use a term or a word and you have a different definition, um, it could get us into some trouble, couldn't it? A couple of years ago... Um, actually, it was back in 2008 or seven. Anyway, a while back, I had the opportunity to go serve in Guyana. We were doing medical clinics there. We were serving with the church uh, that day, and uh, we were scheduled uh, to be there for two days. So the, the day we're there, doctors doing their thing, nurses doing their thing, our pharmacy people are doing their things, our students doing their thing, and so I'm just kind of watching, kind of seeing all the things that are going on and going, my God, this is just awesome. We love this. And I'm talking with one of the church leaders. She was the lady in charge of doing all of the Sunday school at this church. And so we're talking, and, and you know, I'm just going, you know what? We want to do more than just do medical clinics. I mean, these are great for us to do, get some help. But what could we do to help your church? How could we help you? Not that we have all of the answers, but what, we could, what could we do to help? She goes, you know what? One of the things that we really need is our church. We need some Sunday school resources. So she goes, well, the, the next time you come, will you bring me some Sunday school resources that we can use? And I said, sure, the next time that I come, I'll, I'll bring you resources and I, you know, I can get you at least probably a year's worth of stuff that you can use. Day goes on, it's great. Next day starts, we get the clinic set up. It's wonderful. Everything's going, doctors doing their thing, nurses doing their thing, students doing their thing, farms people doing their thing. Again, I'm watching and seeing how everything's going. I'm trying to connect again with the church leaders and this one lady's avoiding me. I mean, I walk over to where she is, and she gets up and leaves. And then every once in a while, she kind of shoots me the evil eye. And I'm like, man, what in the world did I do? And so observing the cultural norms of that area, you don't go straight to them and go, man, what's the problem? I went to my friend, Michelle, said, Michelle, what's going on? And she goes, well, don't you know? I was like, no, help me out. And she goes, well, you told her the next time you came, you were going to bring her Sunday school resources. And I went, oh. Dang, we were using the same words. And meant something entirely different. Because I was meaning, the next time I come to Guyana, I will bring you all kinds of resources. Because I don't travel with them in my back pocket. I mean, I could now, maybe with a USB, now that I 
realize that I could do that. But back then I didn't. I was thinking of like books and materials and things like that, which is really what she needed. I don't know that she'd have had a printer. But anyway, that's beside the point. I didn't have all that stuff with me. So to me, it meant next time I come to Guyana, next summer when I come, I will bring you a suitcase full of stuff. And this lady meant, tomorrow when you come back to my church, will you bring it with you? And I went, oh man. So we were able to talk. It all worked out. I brought her stuff the next year. It was good. But the point of that is, is we were using the same words, same phrases. It meant something entirely different. With that in mind, I want to give you a definition of joy of what we're talking about today when we use the word joy because we use that word in all kinds of circumstances, right? So, the definition is going to come up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. It's going to stay there for a little bit. I know it's long. I'm sorry. I had to pack a whole bunch of stuff into one definition. So here we go. Um, Joy. A delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. (coughs) Excuse me. Unlike happiness, joy is gladness that is completely independent of the good or bad things that happen in the course of a day or our lives. Joy denotes a supernatural gladness given by God's Spirit that actually seems to show up best during hard times. Again, that's going to stay on the screen. I want you to write that down. Because again... I want When we say the word joy and we start to unpack this even more, I want to make sure you get it and that we're not doing this with what we're talking about, okay? Does that make sense? As you're continuing to write that definition down, let me give you a kind of a here's where we're heading today. We're going to unpack this definition a little bit by, um, by getting a, get a better understanding of joy and the things that make joy up. Great idea with the picture. Take a picture of it. That's a good idea. I love it. Um, We're going to look at what makes joy up, those things, and then we're going to look at some hindrances to joy and how to overcome those hindrances. All right? Is that fair? Let me pray for us. Father God, as we explore today what your word says about joy, please give us ears to hear and eyes to see your message. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to take what we learn today or are reminded today And allow you to transform our lives so that you might use our lives to impact your kingdom. God, in advance, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you give us joy and how you'll use it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, a true understanding of joy. That's what we've come to this morning to find out about. Here it is. First and foremost, joy is found in Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross. First and foremost, that's where it is. Really, we could kind of end right there. It's all about Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. Let me read for you John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there because we're going to come back to this passage often this morning. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking here. He says, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, we don't understand this. They kept asking, what does it mean a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so they said to him, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, you will grieve But your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. 
But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. What an amazing passage of scripture. Jesus' words to help us understand about this. And as we look back, we get to see, we have, we have the, the privilege of being able to look back at what he's doing. He's foreshadowing for his disciples that he's going to be dying. They don't get this. Literally, as he's saying these words, he's not very far from his trial and crucifixion and death on the cross. He knows what lies ahead. And looking back again, we get to see that he is promising that he is, that he is going to die. And that his disciples then, they're going to weep because they're not going to understand. And they're going to be going, gosh, I don't get it, why? But, but yet he promises them that, that he will return. He will see them again. They will see him again. That he will be raised from death. And that they will have a joy that will not be taken away. Now what happened at the work of the cross? What was there? What what did he accomplish that brings us joy? Well, it's this. It was God's plan for the redemption of people. Jesus' sacrifice made it possible for you and I to reconnect with God in a right relationship. It made it possible for you and I to experience life to the fullest here on earth. It made it possible that we would have a home in heaven one day when we leave this earth. Check out verse, uh, this verse. It's, it's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus again is speaking. He says, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. In other words, don't rejoice that you have all these powers and you can command the spirits. Don't rejoice in that. But, he goes on to say, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what happens. That's the reason why in the song that we just sang earlier that we lift, we lift the cross, we lift it high. That's kind of weird. We're taking an execution tool and, and saying we're, we're doing that. But it's not just the cross. It's what happened at the cross. Jesus is telling us here that true joy comes from being a follower of his and that our sins have been forgiven. They have been wiped clean. If you're a follower of Christ, you get this. You've experienced that forgiveness. But if you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me tell you a story that might give you a little picture, might help you to understand. I'm going to go all the way back to when I was in fifth grade, not because I haven't done anything wrong since then, but this just made sense. So um, in fifth grade, my family moves to Peachtree City, Georgia. I go to Huddleston Elementary, and I'm trying to fit in. And so I make some friends, end up being some good guys. I make some friends, and as fifth graders do, and I think still do, you know the, you know the little Mad Libs books? You ever played with those? written stuff in there, you got your adjectives, adverbs, other stuff, you put stuff in there and it's supposed to be make funny stories and you can make some pretty funny stories. Well, as fifth grade, as only a fifth grade boy can do, a group of us decided, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we use some colorful four-letter words? And I don't mean the word blue. And so we wrote all this stuff in there, we're laughing, having a good time, and blah, blah, blah. One of the guys in the group, I won't say his name because he may listen to this one day, but one of the guys in the group says, you know what, I feel guilty about this and turns us all in. And we're all going, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Feel guilty about it. Tell God, but throw the stuff away, right? So he turns us into the teacher. The teacher, like at first, is going, I don't see anything. And then she reads the stuff, and she's going, oh, gosh, you guys are going to the principal. So we go up to Dr. Dakota's office, great man, like him still today. And we're sitting there for what felt like hours before we got to go through and see him. 
I'm sure it was only five minutes, but it felt like hours. And so we get into his office, and he reads the stuff, and he, you can just tell he's disappointed. And he lectures us for what feels like hours. It really was probably 30 or 45 minutes, but it felt like hours about how we shouldn't do that and, and all of that kind of stuff. Again, great man. And he says, here's what you got to do. I want you to take these Mad Libs books, and I'm going to give you a piece of paper that says you met with me today. And you've got to go home and show your mom and dad this, and they've got to sign this piece of paper. And I thought to myself, couldn't you just give me in-school suspension? I don't want to go home and tell my mom and dad this. I didn't say that to him because I figured I'd get in more trouble. So I just kind of took it and went back to class. Man, I'm telling you, longest day of my life. School finally ends. My mom picks me up. I'm sitting in the back of her Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm sitting there. Hand, my hands are under my feet, are under my legs going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I get home, I make a, a, a cardinal mistake. I go straight to my room. I never went straight to my room and went home. I went straight to the refrigerator. She had to have known something was up. Either I didn't feel good or something was wrong. I sit in my room for a while trying to muster the courage to go to my mom and say, hey, here's this that I did. I don't know how I did. I, I blacked out for a little while. I finally went to my mom and, and handed her the stuff. And I remember standing there She's, you know, I'm shorter than her at this point. Um, she's reading it, and I see her face of, like, niceness turn to a face of just disappointment. And so I begin to say, Mom, I, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have written all that stuff. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that again. I know what I did was wrong. And listen, my mom modeled for me that day something incredible. She took that piece of paper, she signed it, and she said, I forgive you. Don't do this again. And I went, ah. Oh. And it was like a ton of bricks was lifted off of my shoulders until my dad got home. <laughs> he had a little bit of a different response. Ooh, I'm going to kill on that. I thought I wasn't going to do that. But until my dad got home, my mom modeled for me grace and forgiveness. Listen, on a very small scale, if you're not a follower of Christ, having that weight lifted off of your shoulders like a fifth, fifth grade boy, if you did something wrong, you, you probably have more on your shoulders than that, right? I mean, I do. If I list out all my sins, we'd be here for a few weeks. Can you imagine, think about what it feels like to have all of that gone and wiped clean? Listen, that is what gives us joy, right? It's that we have been forgiven of our sin. And God has said, look, I, I, I redeem you. I bring you back into a relationship with me. And it is awesome to have your deepest, darkest sins, your deepest, darkest secrets forgiven. And not only is joy found in being a follower of Christ, but joy overlaps sorrow. Here's what I mean by this. The opposite of joy is not sadness. It's a huge distinction there. Because if they were opposites, opposites, they couldn't coexist in you at the same time. Now, the Bible constantly shows where joy coexists with sadness. I want you to look back in the passage from John chapter 16, verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I told you a couple weeks ago I got to go to East Asia on a trip. While we were, excuse me, while we were having lunch or dinner, I don't remember, we were sitting around a round table. Some of the ladies that I was sitting next to decided to talk about childbirth for a few moments. Now, my first reaction was to go, no, 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 I don't want to hear this. 
I'm trying to eat. Don't want to talk about this. And they, honestly, they didn't go into a whole bunch of details on it. But they, one of the things they did say, they had no idea that I was talking about this passage at all. One of the things they did say is they said, you know what? We remember this one lady had four or five children. She goes, you know what? Had I remembered all of the pain, I probably wouldn't have done or had all of those kids. But, but when, I, when I experienced the joy of having that child in my arms, I forgot about the pain. It wasn't that the pain was gone. And I went, I'm talking about that in a few weeks. I'm going to remember that. And so I got home and talked to Lindsay about it. And, and I, she helped me remember. Remember, you were there. You saw. And I do remember my bride going through the pain of labor and the agony of all of that. And I vividly remember her face of pain and anguish as she's going through that whole delivery process, turning to a face of joy as she held our sons. Vividly remember that. It wasn't that her pain was gone. She goes, John, it wasn't that the pain was gone. That pain was still there. But I was overjoyed by holding Caleb. I was overjoyed a couple years later holding Luke. Listen, Jesus is telling us the same thing. In this world, in this life, our pain's not going to go away. But our joy in him will overshadow that pain. Now, this is where many people make a mistake. Many Christians wrongly make a mistake here. They assume that by going to church, it'll solve their problems. They assume that if they decide to follow Christ, that all of their problems will be solved. They assume that if they say the right prayers, that all of their problems will be solved. They say, if I just pray this right thing, that my job will be saved. If I just say these right words, if I just go to church enough, that my illness will go away, that my marriage won't mess up, that my kids won't rebel. And the deal is, When things don't work out quite right, because listen, they're not always going to work out quite right. They say, I've tried the religion thing. I've, I've tried God and it doesn't work. And so let me be abundantly clear to you, Dogwood Church, regardless of what you may have read, regardless of what you hear on TV, from well meaning people, becoming a follower of Jesus does not make all of your pain and sorrow go away. It doesn't. Think about it for a second. Look through the New Testament and look at the followers of Jesus that came after him. His disciple, Paul. What happened to Paul? He goes to prison for a while. That wasn't joyful, was it? He had joy in prison if you read it, but his circumstances, there was still pain and sorrow. Becoming a Christ follower does not solve all of your problems. In other words, making those problems go away. What it does do is it means that you get to have a relationship with Jesus. You get to have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, who will carry you through those times, and he will give you his joy. He will give you a, a, um, a peace that passes all understanding. It's what he does. It's that, it's that poem that we read sometimes, kind of a corny poem, but the, the, the footsteps poem. God carries us through those times, and he gives us his joy. Listen, let me tell you a real-life story of this. Some of you know my father-in-law. Ralph Scalise and his battle with cancer. Listen, he was a man that came to Christ late in life. And to hear his story, he talked about how awful he was before coming to Christ. Comes to Christ, I mean, transformed individual. Awesome story. Diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Goes into remission. And last summer, finds out that the cancer is back and that there's probably not much that can be done. And so he goes through this process of leaving the earth. And we had some gr- he and I had some great conversations. 
Listen, he was in pain during a lot of that time. There was other times where God took away the pain, but there was times where he was in pain. He was sad. He didn't want to leave his family yet. But he talked about the joy that he had. Why? Because his sins had been forgiven. And then in just a little while, he wasn't going to be in pain. And he was going to be with Jesus. And he was joyful about that. He was sad about other stuff. But he was joyful. It coexisted. It was there. But his joy overshadowed all of that. And he is a remarkable example of what I'm talking about here. Jesus does the same in your life and in my life if we let him. You may not be going through, through something as horrible as cancer, but, jo- but, but, but Jesus will walk you through the tough times of life and you will have joy if you're a follower of Christ. Now, not only is joy found in Christ, not only is it deep, excuse me, not only does it overlap sorrow, but joy is permanent and deep. And here's what I mean by this. Joy is not based on what happens in our lives. Back to our our passage in John chapter 16, verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, Jesus says, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. The mark of real joy is not found in life circumstances, the external things that happen in our lives. What Jesus is saying here is that if you're his follower, and that your joy is found in him, no person, no thing, no circumstance will take away that joy. Remember what I shared with you about Ralph? A man that that meets Christ and sees his life totally transformed, isn't joyless because of all that he was going through. He is full of joy because of God's goodness and the work of the cross. So joy is found in Christ. It overlaps sorrow. It's permanent. It's not based on our circumstances. The final aspect in understanding joy is this. Joy is produced by Christ in us. The work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what it is. We don't conjure it up. And this really goes back to the first point that we talked about. That it's found first and foremost in the work that Jesus did on the cross. Again, if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't just conjure this up. If you are a follower of Christ, this is something you let God develop in you. We We don't just fake it. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that you and I can do that will hinder joy in us. There are actions, there's attitudes, there's lifestyle stuff that we can do that will hinder joy. I want to give you five big hindrances to joy and how to overcome each one of those five. The first hindrance to joy is this. It's selfishness. Selfishness. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. That doesn't sound like a joyful life, does it? Listen, and if we're honest with each other, we're all selfish. I've not, honestly, I am. I've not met a person who's really, truly not without God working in their lives to transform them. How do I know this? Let's show a picture up here on the screen. How do most of us, and I love the joy there, how do most of us gauge a picture? Who do you look for first? You. I don't mean to be mean and and point people out. I'm not going to point anybody out. But I'm just saying, when we look at a picture, we're in a group shot, you can't see faces super well there, but when we get like a, when we're on the beach with our family and they take a picture, and everybody looks great, but you're looking away, 
What do you think about that picture? You think, man, that picture's not good. When everything else in the picture is great, it's perfect. Because we're all selfish. I mean, down to the, we are, unfortunately. When we go through life so worried about ourselves and making sure that we are satisfied and making sure that we are the center of the world, guess what? We never are satisfied and we never are the center of the world. There will never be enough to satisfy all of your cravings. We will always want more. We will be consumed by trying to get more and more. And it will rob your joy. So how do we overcome this hindrance? How can we not let this roadblock rob us of joy? The answer is profoundly simple, yet it is hard sometimes to practice. We focus on God and we focus on others. If you think for a second, what's the mission of Dogwood Church? Love God and love people. There's more to it. I'll make you more better followers of Christ. But love God and love people. If you will focus your life on loving God, serving Him, finding ways to serve Him, and focus your life on other people, figuring out ways to serve them, I promise you, your life will be filled with joy. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says, more happiness in giving than in receiving. It's one of the reasons why when we when, when I have, I've, I've taken people on, on, on mission trips for years, all the way back to my student ministry days, students and adults constantly will say, when they come back, that's one of the best weeks of my life. I was full of joy during that week. Why? Because for seven to ten days, you're doing nothing but focusing on God and focusing on other people. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying go quit your job tomorrow and go on a perpetual mission trip. What I am saying is, look at your job, look at your school differently as a mission trip. Does that make sense? Focus while you're there at your office, whatever it is that you do for your occupation. Focus your time on loving God and loving and serving people. That will bring you joy. It will get you over the hurdle of selfishness. But there's a second hindrance. And this is a big one. This hindrance is called being unwilling to forgive. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I don't have time to read that passage to you, but basically it's the story of the unforgiving servant. The servant who, who, whose master, he owes a lot to his master, and the master says, okay, I forgive you of all that. It's wiped clean, got it. Servant goes on a day or so later, a little bit later. One of his friends who owes him a little bit comes and says, hey, I can't pay you back. And he goes, sorry, you're going to have to pay me back. I'm not forgiving you of your debt. The master finds out about it and goes, man, you wicked servant. You know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to throw you in jail and have the jailers torment you until... You can pay it back. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very joyful to be tormented by the jailers. When we don't forgive, it will eat you up and it will rob your joy. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome this obstacle again? It is simple and hard at the same time. Be quick to forgive. That's how you get past it. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you. He forgave you of a lot, didn't he? So you must forgive others, and I'll add to it, when it's only a little bit. Because compared to what God forgave you of, it's only a little bit. Here's some practical ways to do that. And this is kind of hard, but, but if you can get this, I promise you, your life will be filled more with joy. The Holy Spirit will work more in you. Learn to forgive without being um, asked to forgive. When you're wronged by somebody, I mean, some of us, you know what, I'll forgive them, but they just got to say it. 
They got to say, I'm sorry. Listen, all you got to do is say, I forgive. You don't have to tell them that you forgive them. So they can come back and still say that to you if you want. But just, I forgive you. You wronged me, you hurt my feelings, but I forgive you. Also, learn to ask forgiveness quickly. Learn to ask forgiveness quickly. It's hard to say I'm sorry, isn't it? Listen, I'm not perfect with my boys. I mess up. Sometimes I yell at them. Don't tell them that. They're here. Or they're not here. Don't tell them. But I'm not perfect. I I do mess up. But what I have tried to do when I do mess up is to go to them and say, you know what? I spoke to you unkindly. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it that way. I'm very sorry. There's a couple of things that I'm doing with that. Number one, it's good for my soul. It's good for me because I, I, I wronged, I sinned, I, needed to, I need to ask for forgiveness. But the thing I'm praying that it does for them too is that it teaches them to learn to ask for forgiveness. Because they're seeing their dad. Not Again, I don't have it all right. But they're seeing their dad ask for forgiveness to an 11-year-old kid. I hope they learn that lesson. Listen, learn to practice that. Learn, learn to forgive without being asked, and learn to say you're sorry quickly. There's a third hindrance to joy. It's this. It's called separating ourselves from other believers. We were meant to go through life together. When we try to make it on our own, we will stumble and fall. And then there's no one to help pick us back up, no one to be willing to confront you to help keep you on track, no one to celebrate life with, no one to mourn with. Listen, serving in the church for years, I've never quite understood why when people face some difficult times that they turn from community and run from church. Now, I get that there's times where you need a few moments. Maybe you need a couple days, right? When my grandfather was passing away, he was one of my heroes. Next to my dad, he probably was my hero. And when he was passing away, I needed some time. And so I vividly remember going out into the pasture, the field, sitting by the creek, and just having some time alone. I get it. You need some time alone sometimes. But don't stiff arm the church. Don't stiff arm your small group. Those are the people who are Jesus with skin on them. And during those tough times of life, they are the ones that will help you get through. If you're going through a hard time right now, just kind of give me an umbrella of grace as I say that. I don't mean to offend you, but don't run from the church. Don't run from Christ followers. Listen, there was a story that I heard of an experiment that was done a couple of years ago, actually many years ago, on these monkeys. I heard this a couple of days ago. And I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but basically here's what happened. They took these monkeys and they would put them in a cage by themselves and they'd have a whole bunch of loud noises and they were trying to scare the monkeys. And so they were able, it sounds mean, I know, I get it, but um, I didn't do it. But they did this and they would, they would, they would, um, they were able to, to measure their brain waves and something else to tell how much stress that these monkeys were under. And when the monkeys were alone, they were horribly terrified. So they they stopped all of the external stuff that was going on, and they threw a monkey's friend in there with them. They turned all the stuff back on, and they were able to measure at least a 50% decrease in the monkeys just because there was another monkey in the cage with them with all the stuff that was going on. Listen, how much more Will God use us as followers of Christ and His Spirit in us to help care for people when they're going through tough times if we go through it together? Does that make sense? Listen, go through life with other people. How do you do that? How do you overcome it? It's simple. Get involved into a small group. Get involved in a church. Write that on your communication card if you need help with it. We'll help you out. There's a fourth hindrance. It's called being tired. 
It's hard to be joyful when we're exhausted. You know, there's the times in my life where I'm most irritable with anyone are when I'm tired. It's when I've neglected Sabbath rest and when I've neglected spending time with God on a daily basis. God modeled for us Sabbath rest, so did Jesus. Jesus modeled for us spending time with him on a daily basis. That's how you overcome it. Spend time with God. Take time off. If you're tired, it will rob you of joy. So spend time with him. Take time off. There's a fifth hindrance to joy. It's this. It's accepting counterfeit joy. What is counterfeit joy, you might ask? It's this. Counterfeit joy is the feeling that comes when we rest in our blessings and not the blesser. Does that make sense? Counterfeit joy is when we go, you know what, God, thank you. Thank you for my new job. Thank you for my great spouse. Thank you for my new car. And those are the the things that you base your happiness on. Those things. Instead of going, God, thank you for that, but I'm really more thankful for you and my relationship with you. You get the difference? One's being thankful and looking towards God. The other is focusing on just those things. Because, here's the problem. When you focus on just the things... Those things will go away one day. There may be a period of time where those things don't happen right, or at least as you think they should happen. Those things become our idols. We begin to pursue them. It takes away our joy. So how do you overcome that? How do you overcome it? It's, again, simple. It's to always focus on God in your relationship with Him. Always focus on God in your relationship with Him. So listen, we've looked at the true definition of joy. We look, we've looked at the hindrances to joy, and we've quickly looked at how to overcome some of them. But I want to remind you that the fruit of the Spirit is not produced in us by us trying harder. It is produced in us by the Holy Spirit working in your life. So you have to make sure that you're a follower of Christ. If you're not, you can't conjure this up. It won't work. So I want to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes for a few moments. Let me speak to you, those of you that are followers of Christ first. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to do one of two things. First, would you pray for the people in this room that are not yet followers of Jesus? Pray that they would respond to God, okay? Second, you may need, the Holy Spirit may have told you that you're struggling with one of these hindrances that we've talked about, and you may need to do business with God. So if so, then take, take this time to, to do that. And do business with him. Now let me talk to those of you in this room. That are not yet followers of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Christ. Let me just tell you. Let me beg and plead with you. Don't do this because John's saying do this. Do this because. I'm telling you it's the best decision you'd ever make. Responding to God's love and offer of mercy and grace. To have your sins wiped clean. Your deepest darkest fears and secrets gone. So how do you do that? That's a great question. To enter into a relationship with God, you simply ask God to be your leader and your forgiver. By leader, I mean that you're asking Him, you're giving Him control of your life to the best that you understand it. You're making Him your boss. By asking Him to forgive you, you're saying, God, I I messed up and on my own, I can't get to you. I need you to wipe my sins clean. I need to be forgiven. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer with you. And listen, there's nothing magic about this prayer. If you don't get the words just right, it's fine. God's concerned about what's going on inside of you, not the, these next few words that you might say or think. But 
pray something like this. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life, to be my leader. God, I give you complete and total control of who I am. God, also forgive me. On my own, I am separated from you because of my sin. So forgive me. I turn away from those sins and turn towards you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.